Our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. After the sermon, we will sing in response to the proclamation of the gospel, Psalm 147, stanzas 1, 2, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, we were very blessed yesterday to be able to celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. And I think for all of us, this is a very precious and special time of year when we get to spend time with loved ones and enjoy whatever sort of traditions have become a part of our lives. And I think we also recognize that it can be difficult at times to hold off the tendency that we might have to focus during this time on the kinds of things that the rest of the world who do not know Christ, the things that they focus on during the holiday season. We look forward to a lot of things like eating certain foods and smelling certain smells that remind us of the holidays, smells like cinnamon and Christmas-scented candles, we get excited to hang up lights and set up a tree and go shopping and even all of the, the Christmas songs that plague the stereo for, for, it seems, weeks and weeks before Christmas time. These things are precious to us and they have a certain place in our hearts. They're all the things that make the time of year very Christmassy. And no doubt it's not those things themselves that we love so much, but it's because those things are reminders of the precious time that we spend together. And as we're in the middle of enjoying this time, no doubt we have probably more uh, Christmas festivities happening between Christmas and New Year's with, with family and with friends. It's necessary while we do this to remember, to remain focused on why we're able to celebrate. It's a precious time. It is a time for great joy. And that's because God himself came into the world in a miraculous way and he showed himself to us. The Christ, the Messiah, has been born. He came to bring us back to God, to restore us to him. He gave us the wonderful gifts of righteousness and everlasting life. And now we celebrate this and, and we live 
now, today, in the new reality of a world that is being rescued and restored by Jesus Christ. And we know that all of Scripture, all of Revelation, the whole Bible, all of this points to Christ's work. This morning we want to focus on a particular aspect of Christ's work. We recognize that he has a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And this morning we're going to focus on one aspect of his threefold office, Christ's office as our chief prophet. We want to see how God cared for his people throughout his throughout the history of him dealing with his people, and how during his dealings with his people in the Old Testament, he brought forerunners of Christ, forerunners who held these three offices. There were many prophets and priests and kings in the history of Israel, and we'll see, we see how they were a great blessing for God's people, but how also ultimately they could not bring about what God's people truly need. Only Jesus Christ could do that. And so this morning we hear God's word concerning Christ's office as prophet of God, the one who reveals God to us. Now at some point, at some point you either have encountered or at some point in your life you will encounter people who believe that, that all religions are the same in some way. They would claim that all the religions of the world are trying to accomplish the same thing and, and to some degree they can all be successful in what they do. This is called religious pluralism. There's many religions, a plurality of religions. And pluralists are convinced that, that all religions are equally valid. There, there's no right that we have as certain types of religious people to have a judgment over other religious people and say that our religion is superior to this one. They all do the same thing in the mind of the, the religious pluralist. No one can say that his religion is better than others. And so sometimes they'll use an illustration like, like the wheel of a, of a bicycle. We all know what that looks like. There's a, a, a rubber tire on the outside. There's a steel rim. And then there are all these spokes that connect the, the outside rim to the, to the hub in the middle, and they would use this illustration in this way. They would say that religions function like this. There's a God or there's a power or whatever, um, and he is at the very center. He's at the hub. And whether it's a a personal God that someone believes in or whether it's a state of being like, like nirvana or something like that, that's where everybody wants to get. That's what what's good. And all of the religions of the world are like the spokes of the wheel, and everybody practices them in their own way, but they all lead people to the same thing, which is where we need to be. They would say that in the same way, Christians seek after the Lord God, Muslims seek Allah, Buddhists seek a state of nirvana. All are actually trying to reach the same thing, even philosophies that, that don't assert a, a personal God They're seeking the same resolution. It's all the same. Everybody is seeking to be free of the things that hinder in this life. We want to be free of 
the oppression of the world, rising above certain circumstances and, and seeking to participate in something beyond oneself and finding fulfillment, either in simply pursuing that or maybe finally in its attainment as well. That's what religion is for, for those who study religion as a sociological idea. And that would be true. All of that, that formulation about the religions of the world, the philosophies of the world, that would all be true if one other thing were not true. And that's this. If God were not real and personal, if God never made a personal relationship with people and revealed himself to them and showed himself to them, well, then all of that other stuff could be valid. Because then all religions would be the same thing. They would all be inventions, human inventions, trying to imagine who God is, what he's like, forming ways from our own ideas, forming ways of life to try to get us unstuck from rotting our lives away in this world. They would all be human inventions trying to lift people up and bring them to something greater. But this is the difference. This is why Christianity is different. And that's because God himself, he really has done something in this world. God has revealed himself. He really and truly has shown himself to people. He has brought us in a relationship with him. We're able to know him. Not just know things about him, but we can actually know God as he is. The Bible isn't a collection of people's ideas about God. The Bible is God saying to you, this is who I am. This is me. This is truth, absolute truth, where every other religion is myth and conjecture. This is an astonishing reality that's so easy for us to take for granted. Yeah, we have the Bible, we have the Word of God. This is astounding that God himself has revealed himself and said, this is who I am. Making it so that we can, we can actually understand him. L letting us have a familiar knowledge of him. The way that family members are familiar with each other. We don't just know about God, we know him. How has this been possible? How did this happen? How can it be that we actually know God? Well, in the history of God's relationship with his people, he has revealed himself to them primarily through his prophets. His prophets were responsible for teaching God's people whatever he wanted them to know. God would raise up a prophet, and he would give them instructions, and he would say, go and tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, or thus says the Lord. And we have to stop here and, and, and think of how thankful and, and amazed we ought to be that this is actually the case. 
With other religions, you never know how a God might be feeling about you. Whether he hates you or loves you, what could we possibly do to try to get on this God's good side? We don't know what he likes or doesn't like. We have to try to guess and see. And if he reacts badly, well, then we sort of know to go the other way. Try to figure out what we don't know about this God. And it would be actually quite terrifying to be in that sort of position. There's this being that has this power over your life, and you don't know which way to, to go to, to try to please him, to bring about some, some positive and, and, and good state of, of life. But our God does something remarkable. He says to us, he personally comforts us. He says, listen, I am going to let you know actually the thoughts that I have for you. The thoughts that God is actually thinking about you, he's saying, I'm going to let you know them. So that you know how I feel about you and love you. And, and I'm actually going to reveal my intentions all of my plans for the world, my plans for you, I'm going to give you the, the, the cheat codes, sort of. I'm going to let you know what's going on with this world and what I'm going to do, and I'm going to give you the instructions so that, so that our relationship is good. That's an amazing thing. What an act of grace. And that's something that, that's something that we have to realize, too, that there's no big difference between there's not a fundamental difference in God giving his law to his people and then the proclamation of the gospel. They go together. When God gave his law, all of the instructions for the tabernacle, for the temple, all of these rules about how he is to be worshipped, what he's really saying is, you are a filthy and unholy, sinful people, and I am holy God, and yet, I want to be with you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be in a relationship with you, but it's impossible because of the state that you're in. So we're going to address that. And this is the way. I'm teaching you how your sins can be cleansed, and we can have a relationship together, and I can be with you, and have my love be poured out for you forever. That's in the law. That's a law of, of love, of mercy, of compassion. It's a wonderful thing. And God even says too, if you fail to do all of this, if you start disobeying me and you live contrary to me, well then I'm going to correct you. I'm going to discipline you. I'll teach you what you're doing. And you can be sure that my love for you will never fail. I am the Lord. That's the message that God gave through his prophets. Moses is celebrated as one of the greatest prophets the people of God ever had. We read in Exodus chapter 33 about how he would intercede for the people when they needed to know the will of God, he would go so they wouldn't have to, and he would receive the word of the Lord and bring it back to them. He would consult with God about various things. So verses 10 and 11 of 
Exodus chapter 3, read there, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He would come back and tell the people, this is what God says. This is what he wants you to know. And with each revelation, God's people could understand God more than they did before. They grew closer with him. More and more they would know, this is who God is. He was teaching his people, I am holy because I am the Lord. Our relationship shouldn't be, shouldn't be possible because of your sins. But look, I am making a way for this to be possible. The way of salvation is open. I like very much how Abraham Kuyper summarizes the history of Revelation. So from the very beginning all the way until now, God has been revealing himself to his people. And the, the way that it's summarized is this. At all times, the same message is being delivered to the people that God loves. And this message is the way of salvation is open. And that message came at, at, at different times and in different ways, but the message was always the same. And during the course of Israel's history, God continued to reveal that. He continued to give the gift of that revelation, raising up prophets who would say to the people, thus says the Lord, but we see the reality of the relationship, the shortcoming of the relationship. The people of God were always sliding backwards away from God, ignoring the words of his prophets, even killing the prophets as Stephen accuses the Jewish leaders in Acts 7. He says, was there ever a prophet that your, that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Even though the prophets revealed the very word of God to God's people, in a major way, they didn't get it. The people didn't get it. They didn't understand their sin. They didn't understand fully what was necessary for God to actually be reconciled to his people. Because if they did, they would have been overcome with the realization of God's love for them. They would not have turned away. And this is what we consider this morning. What was God willing to do for his people? They couldn't see the devastating reality of the, of the penalty that they deserved for their sins. They couldn't see, they couldn't see with the perfect clarity that they needed how God would take away their sins through his son. Even for the prophets of God, it was shrouded in mystery. We read this in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, and we, we sang a musical version of this a little while ago, concerning this salvation. 
concerning this salvation, the prophets, so the prophets themselves who revealed the word of God, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. I'm sure that, that some of us, when we read that section about Moses meeting God, speaking with him face to face, seeing the glory of God hovering over that tent of meeting, we think, boy, it would have really have been something to be there. And to actually see those kinds of things with our eyes, to see the fire and the smoke on Sinai, to hear the, the divine wisdom directly from God through Moses delivered to the people, to see the miracles that he performed, boy, that would really do something for our faith to see those kinds of things. The, the Red Sea split, Pharaoh's army destroyed, all of the plagues of Egypt, that would make us sure about something or other. That would do something extra for our faith. But the reality is that even Moses, with all of these wonderful things that he did, the wisdom that God gave him, while perhaps the greatest prophet ever, he couldn't give full salvation to the people. He couldn't reveal everything with the clarity that we have been given. He couldn't teach the people enough to prevent them from falling away. He couldn't reveal the fullness of God's salvation in full blazing light for everyone to see because a prophet a prophet greater than Moses was needed. One who would finally reveal and show everything. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God told Moses about this prophet who was coming. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, God says to Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. <clears throat> During the course of time, God indeed raised up other prophets, but the one to come, the one that the Lord was really telling Moses about there, this Messiah, this Jesus Christ, this is the great prophet, and he is God himself. Our text this morning, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, and this is the most wonderful and gracious act that God would do this, that he would teach them and guide them in salvation. But then we read there, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to us by his son. This prophet, the one who would teach others, or who would teach God's people what other prophets couldn't, God's people were desperately waiting for him. They needed him to come. They didn't know God's salvation yet. They were waiting for his birth, what we just celebrated so wonderfully yesterday. This prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, he could reveal the love of God in a way that no other prophet could. How amazing that he arrived. John 1 verse 45, 
Everybody's waiting for him. Philip tells Nathanael this. Guess what? The prophet that Moses wrote about. The one the other prophets talked about. He's here. Finally. Let's follow him. He's here. John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, she talks about this too. She says to Jesus, she doesn't know it's him. She says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he does, he will explain everything to us. There's still a a cover of darkness that they're walking around in. They don't see everything yet, but they know that they will. God is going to reveal in a way that he hasn't revealed yet. Acts 3, verse 22. Peter is explaining to the crowd how he had healed the beggar at the temple and he did how he did this in the name of Jesus, the one who was appointed for this. And he quotes Moses, he quotes the words, the verses that we read. I will raise up a prophet like you from among your brothers. And, and then he, he commands the people, you must do everything that he tells you. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can know, that we can truly know the salvation of God. And it's not only because Jesus during his earthly ministry, opened the scriptures in a way that they had never been opened before. It's not only because he preached and proclaimed the will of God as as our chief prophet and teacher, which he did, but it's also because he lived it. He carried it out. He performed the will of God. God had taught his people in so many ways with so many different images and pictures and rituals teaching them, I am holy and you are sinful and we need to do something about this. You need to be cleansed so that we can be together. Jesus Christ himself through his teaching but especially through his work and through his sacrifice, he ripped open the curtain to show what this salvation really was. What our salvation really took. What is the cost of all of this? Without the coming of Jesus Christ, it is impossible to know the cost of our salvation. Without the coming of Jesus Christ, we would have no idea the measure of God's love for us. You survey the work of Jesus Christ. Take it all in. Consider it all. And suddenly, the love of God is made clear. This is how much God loves us. This is what salvation really means. He was willing to do that? Are you serious? That God himself would become a man? That he would be born as a baby? That he would die for us to bring us back to himself? God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. That's salvation. That's the revelation of the love of God. The prophets saw this, they predicted this, but they saw it and they told it only as much as they could. It was all 
still shrouded in mystery. But then Jesus came. He caused the glory of the Lord to shine in this world like it never could before. Through Jesus' revelation of the salvation of God, we're finally able to recognize the riches, the riches of His love for us. All of these riches that were hidden away in the Old Testament Scriptures, they were buried away like, like precious gems to be, to be dug up and, and realized later. All of these things were put on display by Jesus himself through his preaching and through his work. What a prophet. He not only taught about all these things, and he not only brought them to pass through his performance of God's will, but he continues today, he continues today to be our chief prophet and our teacher. He gives us his spirit. He has poured out his spirit into the church so that we can understand his word, so that we can accept this wonderful gospel of salvation and be saved in his name. Jesus Christ has turned the light on so that we can see it. That's such a precious gift that we can know the salvation of God. He turned the light on so that we can see that there is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ himself, the way, the one way, the truth, and the life. There's one mediator between God and man. There's not hundreds like spokes on a wheel. Jesus is the way. And he will be faithful to you. He will continue to shine his light in your hearts, into your minds, so that you can understand this very precious gospel of salvation. He will guide you, teach you in the way that you should go. He is our great prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to you God's will for your salvation and for your life. Amen.